This sermon, Watch Your Mouth, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, May 2nd, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, with your Bibles turned to James 3, would you stand with me? If you're visiting with us, we'd like to stand. So just one way to set the, the reading of God's Word apart from the rest of our worship. Everything we're doing this morning is worship, isn't it? This is a unique and no doubt profound way that we get to worship together. The reading of God's word, James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his body, his whole body, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being contain the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may be seated. Lord, this is your word. Breathe out, profitable for all things, making us competent in all that you call us to in life and godliness. And we ask that you would cause it to take hold in our hearts, bear fruit in our lives, and bring glory to you in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when Don and I have our older grandkids uh, spend the night, we have a lot of different traditions. A lot of things happen when... The grandkids spend the night at Nana and Papa's. Um, One thing that happens every time, actually two things that happen every time they come, is that the next morning, Papa gets up and takes them to the donut shop. And we get donuts. We bring them home and we eat donuts. And yes, I said donuts, plural. We don't just eat one donut. We eat numerous donuts donuts together. When you're at Papa's house, one donut is not sufficient. And as we eat our donuts, we have donut devotions. So we like to call them in our house, donut devotions. The grandkids, they bring their Bibles, and they love donut devotions with Papa. Well, this Friday night, Liam got to spend the night, and I was able to actually do donut devotions from this text this morning. Uh, No, I didn't preach the sermon to him. He's seven. (laughs) But I started out by, and our devotions are pretty uh, involved. I typically have them draw pictures, and there's gospel applications, and we have a good time. They're learning. They're getting it. But I began by having them or having Liam draw three pictures. I said, I want you to draw a picture of somebody riding a horse, 
And he had to draw the reins in bed. I said, and then in this box, I want you to draw a picture of a big ship sailing. And make sure you, you draw that little udder, or udder, that little rudder. <laughs> Wrong object. <laughs> and then I said, and then in the third box, I want you to draw a forest on fire. So he did. And I said, now, underneath that, I want you to draw a tongue. Of course, he was like, a tongue? And I said, yeah. So I stuck out my tongue for like a minute and a half while he does the taste buds and everything else. And I said, here's what we're going to learn today. The tongue is like the pictures you drew. That's what the Bible teaches us. And Liam... (laughs) looked at me and said, really? My tongue is like a forest fire? My tongue is like a big ship sailing in the waters? Really? He never thought about the tongue that way. Today, James wants us to think about our tongues. Most of the time, we don't think twice about the tongue, unless we bite it, right? Then we are immediately aware that there is this sliver of flesh in my mouth. James wants us to think about the two ounces of muscle between our teeth. He wants us to think about the tongue, and he gets us to that point in a way that shocks us and really moves us to respond like my seven-year-old grandson, Liam. Really? In the most comprehensive teaching on the tongue in Scripture, James is direct and explicit. You probably noticed that as we read this. His words are hard-hitting and blunt. What James says is humbling. It's convicting. This is a challenging text, but as challenging as our text is, these words from the Apostle James are a gift from God to us for our sanctification. Listen, this morning, God wants to work in us. He wants to mold us. He wants to shape us in such a way that the words that pour from our mouths reveal the grace that has transformed our hearts. And so we are going to look at this text in three ways. For those of you who take notes, three points this morning. First of all, the tongue is more important than we think to our faith. The tongue is more important than we think. Second, the tongue is more powerful than we think. And finally, the tongue reveals, is more revealing than we think. So let's look at the first point. The tongue is more important than we think. James shows us here the importance of the tongue with a warning to those who aspire to be teachers of the word. Did you notice how he started out? He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Boy, you know, James goes right from faith without works is dead to teachers. What what is he doing here? That that seems a little out in left field. Well, Well, remember the historical context that James is writing into. These are religious refugees. They've been driven from Jerusalem. They are in foreign land. And that means they're forming new congregations. They they no longer have the luxury of sitting under the daily leadership and discipleship and teaching of of the apostle James and the other of James and the other apostles. So that they are now forming new congregations and in forming new congregations, guess what they need? They need to identify teachers. They need to identify men who can teach the word of God and the gospel. And it would seem that James has concerns about who's teaching. It would seem that James would think that there are some who are teaching who who shouldn't be teaching. 
And so he warns these aspiring teachers, think twice. Think twice before you decide you want to be a teacher in the house of God. Why? Because teaching is a talking profession. And like it says in Proverbs 19, the more we talk, what? The more we sin. Therefore, don't many of you become teachers. James' logic is pretty straightforward. Don't many of you become teachers? Because we know what happens when the mouth gets moving. Now, listen, before we go any further, this warning has gripped me freshly this week. Tim and I love being your pastors. We love preaching in this church. We love teaching in this church. We love counseling this group of people. We love all that because we love you. For me, and I think I speak for Tim, there is no higher privilege than to be able to preach and teach in this church to these people. It is, it is a high privilege, but it's also an enormous responsibility. Because your pastor's words should influence you. Your pastor's words are meant to be powerful in your life. You should weigh the words of your pastor in counsel and teaching and preaching. The way we talk to you What we say should also set an example. That's what Timothy said in in 1 Timothy 4. Set for the believers an example in a whole lot of things, including what? Speech. What your pastor says can either lead you away from Christ or to Christ. That's why James says that if you're a teacher, you will receive a stricter judgment than those who are not. So so this is sobering for Tim and I. Whether it's casual one-on-one or it's from this pulpit, Tim and I must resolve by the grace of God to make our words consistent with truth a means of grace, a source of grace to you. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 19.4, pleasing to the Lord above all things. So this warning is duly noted. And that's our commitment to you as a pastoral team. Now, James begins with teachers in the church, but notice his warning is not limited to teachers in fact, in verse 2, he invites everyone to the party. That's you. <laughs> so, so now, hopefully you've been paying attention the whole time, but now you really need to start paying attention. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. A couple things on James' words here. First of all, notice his humility. We, not you, James includes himself. We all stumble or we all sin. James is not a perfectionist. And he's not making excuses. James is merely recognizing the presence of indwelling sin, including his own. He knows how important the tongue is to his spiritual growth and to the congregation's spiritual growth. Growth. In fact, if you notice when James uses the word perfect, you see that word there in verse 2? Perfect. When he says, he goes on to say in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. That word perfect does not mean perfect. (laughs) It means mature. It means Mature. James says the one who controls his tongue. Do we stumble? Yes. 
But the one whose life is characterized by a controlled tongue, that is an evidence of spiritual maturity. And not just with words. James follows that by saying, and the one who bridles his tongue also bridles his whole body. Did you see that? That's a pretty big assertion. If you can control your tongue, you can control your entire body. Well, what what does he mean there? Well, I think the plain teaching here is this. The tongue is so difficult to master, and that's what we're going to see. He's going to explain. The tongue is the most difficult thing to master. Speech, godly speech, is the most difficult thing to be characterized by. And if the tongue is so difficult to master, if I can master it, then I've mastered my whole body. If I can make it in New York City, I can make it anywhere. If I can do this, then surely I can do that. You get, you get what he's saying here? Now, we're going we're to unpack that more in a moment. But in this moment, I want us to feel the force of James' assertion. The tongue, the words that pour from our mouths are important. They are out front in our faith. They are far more important to our faith than we think. This should be that first really moment. Do you think about the words you speak as being that important to your spiritual maturity? And it makes sense, doesn't it? God is a what? A speaking God. We were created in his image. He is a speaking God who created us to speak. He saves us by his word. He sustains us by his word. He sanctifies us by his word. And so it makes sense that the words of those who have been saved and are being sustained and sanctified, that they matter to God. They are far more important than we think. Now, James is going to reinforce the importance of the tongue by illustrating the power of the tongue. That's our second point. The tongue is more powerful than we think. And, and as he illustrates this now, he, he gives us uh, three powerful imageries that really communicate two things. First, the tongue has disproportionate power to control. It's the first thing we see here. Notice what he says in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, we guard their whole bodies, or we guide their whole bodies as well. Anybody watch Kentucky Derby this weekend? I didn't think so. That was a dumb question. Not that if you like the Kentucky Derby, there's anything wrong with that. But do you see... Do you see what Paul's saying here? Just yesterday, people watched as these massive animals, 12, 1,300, 1,400 pounds of muscle that can run upwards of 40 miles an hour. And there's this, you think I'm little, there's this Little person that maybe weighs 120 pounds soaking wet, sitting on that horse, doing what? Guiding its every move. How? The bride, the rein in hands that's connected to a little three to five inch bit in the mouth. With that little bit, that little person, left, right, go. Now, I think. (laughs) Stop. Giddy up. That little bit in the mouth of the horse allows that little person 
to control every, every move of this massive, powerful, intimidating animal. That's powerful. That's powerful. James doesn't stop there. He, he gives us another illustration. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Think about an aircraft carrier. Some say those things are like small cities, small towns. They're massive. And they're in the water. And they're subject to the elements of the weather. Wind and waves that that can easily push them off course. What keeps that ship at the mercy of the elements of the weather, that massive ship, what keeps it on course? It's a small, relatively compared... It's a small little rudder that you can't even see with your eyes. Somewhere down there underneath the water. Just, and that captain, the little steering wheel, controlling that rudder, keeping that ship on course. How important, how powerful is that rudder? And then James, look what James does. James takes, he applies those two illustrations of something very small having so much power that it can direct and guide. Look what he says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts. Great things. Like a small bit controls a massive and powerful racehorse, and a small rudder keeps a massive ship on course. That's disproportionate. So the tongue has disproportionate power. It can keep us on course, or drive us into the ditch. To help us understand what that looks like, I've invited James Motier to help us. He wrote something very helpful, at least it was for me, in helping us understand what this looks like. Okay, great, but how does that function? He says, the tongue is so much more than what we actually say out loud. In fact, actual speech is probably only a small percentage of the use of the tongue. We cannot think without formulating thoughts in words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. We cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through our minds onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how hard done by we are. But if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, before the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. It is in this way that if anyone makes his mistake, no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is a means to spiritual maturity. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is a means, just as the bit 
and the rudder are means. So the tongue is a means to spiritual maturity. Let me give you an example. Have you ever found yourself talking to yourself? Especially if someone has done you wrong? I have. Happens all the time. Right? It's easy to begin to have a conversation with that person in your head. No one else is in the room but you, but you're talking a lot of words. And if you're not careful, those words go with you. They shape your attitude toward that person, which then can be expressed the next time you see them, maybe through ignoring them, maybe through lashing out at them in anger, right? We've all been there. We all do that. It's easy for me to do that as I'm driving down the road. Yeah, Tim. Do you see what what Mr. Motier is saying? Our words. We're always speaking to ourselves. And our words can be not just evidence of spiritual maturity, but a means to spiritual maturity. How? To be able to say, no, Christ lives in my brother Tim. He's a blessing to me. We can change the course. Our heart attitude towards somebody can be changed. I remember struggling with my boss, and my community group leader years ago said, are you praying for your boss? I said, no, and he said, well, start praying for him. Get rid of those words of bitterness and resentment and anger that, you could, that you're saying to yourself all the way to work every morning and start praying for him and see how that changes your attitude toward him. See how that turns turns words and actions that do not honor the Lord into words and actions that glorify him greatly. That's the point here. That's how this is, in a very real way, lived out in our lives. Listen, do you desire to be more like Jesus? Okay, no hands were raised. Do you desire to be more like Jesus? Okay, most of the hands were raised. I'm praying for the ones that weren't. Do do you have a longing for your life to bring God greater glory? You know what James would say? Remember, James just got done saying, faith without works is dead. What's the first thing he goes to? Your words. I think James would say, if you answer yes to that question, Derek... Watch your mouth. Pay attention to your words. They are more important than you think. They are more powerful than you think. So there is this disproportionate power, but also he goes on with another powerful illustration to communicate that, yes, the tongue has enormous power. It has the ability to control, but the tongue has enormous power power to destroy. I think most of the time we remember this part of the passage, but look at at verse 5 again, 5b. He goes on to say, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James shifts from, from the derby and the marina to the forest. And he says, think about when it comes to your tongue, when it comes to the power of your tongue, I want you to think about a raging forest fire. I looked it up this week. The largest wildfire in California history was the 2018 Ranch Fire. It burned from July to November. Over 400,000 acres destroyed. Over 280 structures destroyed. I think just one firefighter died. Amazing. Pretty, pretty destructive forest fire. You know what the cause was? 
spark from a hammer driving a stake into the ground. 400,000 acres. Hundreds of structures destroyed. One spark. One spark. So much destruction. Amazingly terrifying. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and out of all the imagery available to James, he carefully and intentionally chose a raging fire to communicate how enormously destructive the tongue can be. That slab of flesh between my bicuspids is like a blazing fire. A word is a spark that can set a forest ablaze and spread destruction everywhere. And James wants us to feel this. He unrelentingly communicates what he means in verse 6. So I want to walk through verse 6 phrase by phrase. He says, and the tongue, he doesn't say the tongue is like a fire. He says, and the tongue is a fire. Verse 6, a world of unrighteousness. So many forms of sin the tongue can take. Angry and bitter words, slander and gossip, cursing and coarse language, lying and boasting lips. It's a world of unrighteousness. John Calvin said, John Calvin said something to the effect that, that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. In other words, it captures all the iniquities of the world. <laughs> it's a whole world of unrighteousness. He goes on to say, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. You know, James, James is writing into real situations. As we will see in chapter 4, there were quarrels and fights in their midst. James was concerned that in this letter, he was so concerned about the quarreling and fighting that was going on in, in, in these small congregations that, that he brings it up. And why these quarrels and conflicts among you? James is speaking into a very real situation. And here he says, listen, the tongue, it's set against one another. We, we use the tongue against each other. It ravages the churches and it stains the witness of the body of Christ. And you don't need a lot to stain the witness of the body of Christ. If you are wearing a light-colored shirt and you get a drop of ketchup on it, guess what? It's stained, and everybody's going to see it. it. James goes on to say, setting on fire the entire course of life. Listen, I, more, today more than ever, don't we know this? An uncontrolled tongue has the power to destroy a person. And it is being used today like never before. An uncontrolled tongue has the power to destroy a person's relationships, their reputation, their entire life. Social media. All it takes is one tweet. 50 characters. All it takes is a one-line post to set on fire the entire course of someone's life. And you don't have to generate the tweet. You just have to entertain it. Pass it on. Don't. Resist the temptation. Reject the uncontrolled tongue both in your life, in your mouth, 
and in the mouths of others. Listen, we have known this as a family of churches, people who have no idea what's happening, no idea what's going on. Oh, they think they do, and it's one tweet, it's one post, and everything is set on fire. Don't do it. Don't engage it. Don't entertain it. Say no. Watch your mouth. Pay attention to your words. Your tongue can destroy. In fact, notice what he says. And set on fire by hell. Okay, well, that, that, that's all we need. You know what he's saying? The uncontrolled tongue, that's the tool of Satan. The source is hell itself. An uncontrolled tongue is Satan's strategy. And he knows how to pick his tools because notice what James finally says in verse 8. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is a restless evil always at the ready to rebel, quick to defend, swift to attack others. And when it does, it does so with poisonous venom. Wow. Listen, James wants us to think about our tongues. He wants us to be mindful of the words that we speak and text and post and even think <laughs> what can be used to pray for others and bless others and encourage others and spur others on and bring the message of life to others. But at the same time, it can destroy others. The tongue is far more important than we think, and it is far more powerful than we think. And there's one more thing James wants us to get here. The tongue is more revealing than we think. James brings this exhortation on the tongue to conclusion by pointing out the absurd inconsistencies of the tongue. Look at verse 9. He says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. See what James just did here? He just went from the venomous tongue, and now he says, listen, with that same tongue, we can give ourselves to the highest form of speech, which is to bless and praise God. There is no greater, there is no higher reason that God gave us tongues except to praise him, to bless him. The second highest reason is to spur one another on, to encourage one another, and to share the good news of the gospel to those who are still living in darkness. But to bless God and to praise God, there is no higher form of speech. There is no greater purpose for our tongues. And James says, the same tongue we praise God with, we turn around and curse one another. We, we speak arrogantly. We, we arrogantly judge one another. We we speak angry words, poisonous words to one another. And, and James says, in verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You bless God? You bless God one moment and you curse others the next? No. Stop. Watch your mouth. Pay attention to your words. It doesn't, it's not supposed to be that way. It doesn't make sense. A heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit and a mouth that curses others made in the image of God? But no, it, that's not, that ought not to be so. And then you'll notice what he does. He tells us why, with two rhetorical questions and a final assertion. James says, your tongues reveal your hearts. Here's why. Notice verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Fresh and salt water from the same spring? That doesn't happen. Olives on a fig tree or figs on a grapevine? No. No. That's not how it works. Then he ends with a shift from the rhetorical to an assertion. Notice the end of verse 12. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, rhetorical questions asked, assertion made. No. Good doesn't produce bad. Bad can't come from good. Now hear this in the context of chapter 2, verse 26. Faith without works is dead. Genuine faith is evidenced by good works. And as I said earlier, the first example James gives us is the spiritual reality of the tongue. Why? Well, he's already told us because like nothing else, the tongue reveals the heart. If my heart is right, my tongue will show it. If my heart is wrong, my tongue will show it. My tongue is connected to my heart. My tongue reveals what's in my heart. This, this is what Jesus taught, isn't it? In Luke 6, verse 45, when he said, from out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Just, just, just picture for a moment the imagery that Jesus creates. The heart is a well, right? What do we, a well, you drop the bucket into the well and you bring up what? Water, hopefully. Well, spiritually speaking, the heart is a well. And the bucket is full of words that come up out of it. And James says, listen, what's in the well is going to come out in the bucket. Your words reveal what's going on in your heart. Listen, to be clear, James is not looking for perfection. Remember his words in verse 2. We all stumble. We all sin. We all fall. This is difficult for all of us. This isn't about perfection. James, it's about consistency. He is saying a tongue characterized by sinful speech reveals that the Spirit of God does not live in the heart. If you give yourself to sinful speech today to your spouse, it doesn't mean that the Spirit of God is living in your heart. But if your life is characterized by sinful, angry speech, then you need to evaluate your faith. Because James says you might not be who you think you are. Remember chapter 1, verse 26? That's what he essentially said. The one who says, look at my religion, but can't bridle the tongue, well, his religion is worthless. So James is right back in the same place here. He's landing on on something that he has already told us. Kent Hughes just says it plain. The true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. Don't let crafty words fool you. Don't let the great orators trick you. That's not the measure of your spiritual ability to be able to articulate doctrine, to be able to communicate in a way that is effective. Oh, they're such a good community. Well, great. Spiritual maturity is not found in ability to speak an ability to be able to bridle the tongue. Now, there's one more thing we need to notice here as we close. I skipped two verses intentionally. So I want you to look back up to verse 7. James says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I didn't know that they had circuses in James' day. And then verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. When it comes to the tongue, 
We are more desperate than we think. James says no human being can tame the tongue. The point there is no one in the natural state can tame the tongue. It is restful. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now that's a pretty hopeless confession. And I'm not going to send you out saying, I hope all that served, but it's really all in vain. Because <laughs> we can't tame the tongue anyway. In this verse, verse 8, the most hopeless words in this text, we find the greatest hope. There is one who tamed the tongue. It's Jesus Christ. For 33 years, he tamed the tongue to the praise and glory of his Father in heaven. He never spoke a word that did not bless or praise his father. And he spoke three words, three words that rolled off his tongue in the moment of his glorious agony on the cross. Do you remember what they are? It is finished. Those three words that rolled off the Savior's tongue speak to our tongues today. There is great hope when it comes to taming the tongue. God, God spoke life into our hearts. If you're a Christian this morning, you should have all the hope in the world because there was a point in time where God spoke life into your hearts and you know how he did it? By shutting your mouth. That's what, that's what Paul says in Romans 3.19. He says that the, that the law and sin shuts our mouths. The law and sin leaves us speechless before the throne of God because we are guilty as charged. The law condemns us and our sin is the proof. Our mouths are shut. We have nothing to say. We are guilty as charged. We have no justification before a holy God who judges us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you cannot be a Christian until your mouth has been shut. And I think that begs a question as we close. Has your mouth been shut? Have you ever had a moment? Have you ever come to a moment when all you could say is, Lord, I'm a guilty sinner. Have mercy on me. Nothing else. You have nothing else to say. You have nothing else to bring but to utter those words. Have mercy on me. If you have never had your mouth shut in that way, then today is the day. This moment is is the moment to shut your mouth before God and cast yourself at his mercy who says, if you confess with your tongue, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will mercifully save you. That is not a prayer. That is a heart disposition. Has your mouth been shut? If not, come see me after the service so we can talk about Jesus who shut his mouth. When reviled, he did not revile. Who shut his mouth on the cross when Scripture says he could have called out a host of angels kept his mouth shut and he endured 
taking your sin upon his shoulders and endured the wrath of God. Though he knew no sin, he became sin that sinners might know the righteousness of God. And that comes by grace through faith. For the rest of us who have had our mouths shut, our tongues have been redeemed, haven't they? Christ has mercifully pursued and and subdued our hearts with divine love. Our once untamable tongues have been tuned now to a new song. It's a song of joy. It's a song of joy and salvation in Jesus. Once our once untamable tongues have been harnessed by the Holy Spirit who now lives in us, enabling us and empowering us to use the tongue redemptively, to speak redemptively, to not curse but spur one another on, to not be angry but, but, but to bless one another. Do we do it perfectly? No. Verse 2, oh, brothers and sisters, we all stumble. But our stumbling was nailed to the cross, and it will not be held against us. And so, in a sense, our tongues have been redeemed. If our hearts are redeemed and our tongues are connected to our hearts, well, you get it. Our tongues have been redeemed. Now, in some form, James will show, be showing us how to apply our tongues redemptively all the way through the end of chapter 4. That's from here to the end of chapter 4. It's going to be about our tongues in different ways, but it's going to be about our tongues So instead of getting ahead of James, here's our application this morning. I think it's obvious. We're going to stand. Worship team, come on up. We're going to stand, and we are going to sing. And I want to encourage us to sing loud. There there is no higher. There is no higher. Tom is ready to stand, so go ahead and stand. I love Tom is on the edge of his seat. Let's stand now. Let's stand now to use our tongues to bless God and sing his praises for what he has done for us in Christ. He has stopped our mouths and redeemed our hearts so that right now our tongues can bring grace to others and glorify him as we sing about his glory. Amen.